take someone in here too. Yeah, I, I need uh, I need a mic that I don't have to hold my hand because like I talk like this. So I'm very like like I'm like a one-armed paper hanger when I have a mic in my hand. So I need to get myself freed up. Let me try it now. We good? We're going to go with the mic. It's okay. Well, good morning. Hey, good to see you guys. Great day. Come out in the rain today. Uh, be honest with you. Like, I told my wife this morning, if there's ever a day, I wish I could stay in bed. It was today. You know, I can hear the rain on the roof, you know, and just thinking, no, I would just love to stay in bed, but eh, it's not reality. But it's, uh, I appreciate you guys crawling out of bed, making an effort to get to church today, and you're, uh, we hope, uh, pray that you're blessed today when you leave here, and you're going to grow some more in God's Word. So we're in a series about increase, and I just kind of want to do a little bit of uh, catch up from last week, because last week uh, I, I taught from Ephesians chapter 4, and I just felt like there were some more things God wanted to, to share with us from Ephesians 4 this week, so we're going to pick back up a little bit where we left off uh, then. I have to undress in order to take that off, so I'm good. Yeah, let's not do that right now. <laughs> right? You guys good? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to start with a joke today or something. Huh? Let's wake up. All right. Um, so last week when we, we looked at Ephesians 4, we talked about measurement. And that if you're going to have increase in, in life or in your spiritual walk or in your physical life or your job or your marriage or whatever it is, when you have increase, there has to be a way to measure it, right? You just can't say, well, I want to grow. Well, that's great. It's kind of nebulous. But there, there should be some standard of measurement by which we gauge, am I going up or going down? Am I going ahead or going backwards? Am I increasing, decreasing, whatever it might be? And as we looked in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, God talks about, or Paul talks about, that that grace was given to each of us. And, and so, you know, the first thing we talked about last week is that each person is given grace. Each given person is empowered equal to the measurement of the gift that God gives you. That God gives you gifts, and he actually gives you grace to go with that gift. And sometimes if you try to walk in a gift that you're not graced for, that's when you tend to, to falter or you struggle or it's really stressful. But when you actually flow in the gifting that God's graced you to do, you actually do it with ease. And, and then Paul transitions to talk about what we call fivefold ministry gifts. He talks about the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And he says everybody's given grace, but these five ministry gifts are given a, a special grace, and their grace is for the purpose of equipping the body for the work of the ministry. And so that what God's intention is, is that the pastor or the teacher or the evangelist, the prophet or the apostle, they're actually not the ones that do the work of the ministry, that we're all ministers, that we all have a function within the body, we all minister. And so that maturity needs to take place within the body so that everybody can function and grow into their ministry that God's equipped you to do. So he says that they equip them for the work of the ministry 
for the edifying of the body. Let's go ahead and go to the uh, slide. Actually, let's go to the first slide because it says, I, I kind of wanted to open with this anyway. It says, as a result, we're no longer children, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into Christ, into him who is the head. And so that when we're talking about growth, we don't want to just grow in one or two areas. Paul says, God's intention for you is that you grow, that you actually increase, that you get bigger, not just here and there, not just in one or two areas, but in all aspects, in every area. And so I was, I was thinking this morning about what happens a lot of times is, is uh, when I was a kid, there was this movie, it was really traumatic as a kid, it was called The Elephant Man. Anybody ever, yeah, okay, so it's about a guy that had elephantitis. And, and it, it's a grotesque disease, but essentially what happens is you'll have a limb that actually grows, like, ex extremely large. And, and what happens a lot of times when we focus on maybe just our own growth, but not the growth of the body or the growth of just one area of our life, that one area gets really big. But that's not God's intention. What he wants, he wants the body to grow in sync to grow in unison, to all grow at the same time. And, and so that you're not have one limb that's like this and one limb that's, you know, like this. Remember last week we had the, like the T-Rex arms. Like you're only so far you can go and your, your body grows, but your arms don't. And, and so he says, as a result, we're going to talk about what the result is today. As a result, you're no longer children, but you should speak the truth in love, growing up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. And so the word grow up is, is the word increase. In, it's a Greek word for increase. It means to grow. It can mean to infants. It can mean, uh, it can talk about plants. It can talk about physical growth or spiritual growth. A lot of times it, it's used to talk about the growth of a believer. So he says, I want you to grow up in all aspects into Christ. And so then in Ephesians chapter 4, we looked at verses 11 through 13. And as uh, what I was kind of talking about a minute ago. It says that, that we're equipped for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come. Or um, some translations say, until we all arrive. And so here he's telling us how long these ministry offices should be functioning in the church, how long equipping should take place, how long edification of the body should take place, until we all arrive. Well, guess what? We haven't arrived yet. We're not there yet. Part of you, when you accept Jesus, is made completely new, but the other part of you, the, your body part of you, your mind part of you, is continually being renewed and conformed to the image of Jesus. So we're not there yet. He says, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect, or that word means mature man, according to the stature of the measure of Christ, or the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here's what he's saying. He's saying last week we talked about measurement. And when we're in the body uh, of Christ, the measurement is not the person who equipped you. The measurement is not your pastor. The measurement is not your spouse. The measurement is not your Sunday school teacher. The measurement's not the evangelist that maybe comes in periodically and charges everybody up. The, the measurement is the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. And so that 
if you think about this measuring tape, let's just, uh, here, here's where I need no hands. But let's just say this thing went all the way to the ceiling, right? And if it was measuring Jesus, it would go way beyond the ceiling. Like it wouldn't ever stop. And it says when we measure our maturity, we don't measure it against people. We don't measure it against each other. We don't even measure it about where we used to be. Because a lot of people are like, well, I'm better than I used to be. Great. You should be. But how do you measure up against the fullness of the stature of Christ? His fullness. The one that had the Holy Spirit without measure. The one that believed that everything was possible. The one who was fully submitted to his, his Father. The one that exhibited unconditional love and grace. Like, how do you measure up to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ? And so, along with having a measuring stick, if you will, Jesus is essentially our measuring stick, there's also little tick marks, right? If I look at this measuring, there, there's inches, and there's, there's quarter inches, and there's feet, and there's yards. And so that there's marks along the way that actually let us know if we're growing uh, according to that measure. And today, today I want to look at a couple of those marks. I want to look at a couple of the, the marks of, of, of measurement, or marks of maturity, I'm sorry. So marks of maturity. Let's go ahead and read the last. Uh, we're going to focus on verses... Um, 14 through 16 today, and then I'm going to pick up one uh, toward the end of, uh, of the chapter when we finish out. So let's go ahead and read this. It says, let me get my Bible. I feel like I need my Bible today. Actually, this isn't going to work because now I've got both hands held up. Mike follower. Yeah, I think I think I just hold it. Appreciate the offer. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father, I just ask today, Lord, that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, give us revelation even beyond, Father, what I'm saying. Lord, uh, I just pray that you'd open eyes, ears, and uh, thank you that growth is going to take place today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the three things we're going to look at today start with G. Number one, marks of maturity is grounded, and that's specifically going to be grounded in the Word. So number one, grounded. Number two, growth-focused. That seems kind of obvious. If we're going to mature, we need to be growth-focused. But I really want to talk about an intentionality of growth. Because what happens, you know, I, I was thinking about it. The only thing that really grows unattended is what? Weeds. Like you could ignore your garden and the weeds grow. You don't have to nurture them. But that's not the type of growth we want. And so we want to be growth focused, some intentionality to it. And also the last thing is going to be grace oriented. So grounded, specifically grounded in the word, growth focused and grace oriented. 
The first thing we're going to come to is this. Oh, thanks for putting those up there. Number one, grounded. Okay, next slide. It says this. As a result, we should no longer be what? Children. As a result, we should no longer be children. So what does that tell you? That, that, that says, remember Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this, says there is a time and a purpose for every what? Season. There's a time and purpose for every season under heaven. So there's a time to be a baby. Like none of us would be here if we weren't babies once. See, there's no shame in being a baby. There's just a shame in being a baby when you should be an adult. Right? No shame in being a baby. I love babies. Uh, matter of fact, if you got a baby, I, it, I need practice for grandkids. Like, I need somebody to prophesy grandkids over me. Bring me babies. Like, but, but babies, there's no shame in being a baby. But if I'm holding your baby when he's 40 years old, like, if I, if I was carrying Seth around in my arms and burping Seth, come on, burp, Pastor. Come on, burp for me. Yeah. That would be embarrassing. Because he says, as a result, we should no longer. That means there was a time when it was okay. But now, we should no longer be children. See, I think a lot of people are like the... The Toys R Us kids. I don't want to grow up. Oh, you guys know. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They got lots of toys and games that I can play with. Like, we just want to play spiritual Nintendo all night. I don't want to grow up. I like being a baby. If I'm not, I want to stuck my thumb and sit in the corner. I don't want to grow up. What are babies? Babies are like they're lovable, but they're selfish. Like they're not about you. They pee, they poop, and they eat and they sleep. And they're dependent on you to do something for them. They don't prophesy over you, they don't pray for you, they just cry and complain. But it's cute, right? It's cute when they're. Two months old. If Seth stands up here and wham, wham, it's not so cute. Because he should no longer be a baby. And Paul says, as a result, we should no longer be children. Paul talks about spiritual babies in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, sometimes people, have you ever heard the term carnal Christians? Carnal Christians are not people that live in sin. I mean, they could be. It doesn't mean that you don't. But a carnal Christian is just a baby Christian. Uh, carnal is the word flesh, S-A-R-X, sarx in, in the Greek. It just means that you relate to the flesh, you relate to the world, you relate to what you can see more than what you can't see. That you're, you're anchored in the natural realm more than you're anchored in the kingdom of God in the spiritual realm. And Paul says this, he says, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as there's the same word, nepios, or infants. I could only speak to you as babies. It's like he's talking to the, the Corinthian church and saying, 
I couldn't preach to you. All I could do was say, da, 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 and ma, ma, ma. Car, bus. Like, if I got up and preached like that, you'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, talk to me like an adult. Goo, 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 ga, ga, ga. That's silly, but that's what he's telling them. He's like, I couldn't talk to you like adults because you're still babies. You're still carnal. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Like, you can't feed a baby solid food. See, my goal at this church is that we grow up, that you get solid food on Sunday so that you can come in here and we're not sucking on a bottle on Sunday morning, but we're eating T-bones. Like, we need some meat. He said, I tried to feed you with solid food. Until now, you're not able to receive it. And even now, you're still unable for you're still carnal or you're still rooted in the natural realm. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal behaving like mere men? What was the sign of maturity? Paul said this. He says, I want the fivefold ministry gifts to operate in the church until we all arrive at the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So that unity is a mark of maturity. If this body is mature, it says, I want that to happen, not only until you're equipped to do your job, but until you are in unity, you're in oneness, you actually think the same two things. That you come in unity to the faith of the Son of God and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So think about this. Having faith in Jesus, can a baby Christian have faith in Jesus? Yes. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you're a believer. So he's not talking about us believing in Jesus the same. He says, until you all come to the unity of the faith of the Son of God. He's actually said, here's the measuring stick. Until everybody arrives at a place where we believe the same way Jesus believed. That he actually believed that all things are possible. That he actually believed, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. That everything I ask, you answer. That if we can get to the place where we actually believe that way, he says, you're mature. He said, until you come to the unity of the faith of the Son of God, and also do you come to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. That just doesn't mean having correct theology about Jesus. It means actually thinking like he thinks. Looking at a situation and perceiving it the way he perceives it. Not the way it looks from the natural realm. Not rooted in, in the fleshly carnal realm. And he says, I want you to come to unity. So Paul says this, you're still babies, and the reason I know you're babies is because there's strife, envy, and divisions. There's no unity in the way you guys think or act or believe. What did Paul say later in that same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he says this. He says, when I was a child, again he uses the word nepios. So guess what? Paul was a baby. But he wasn't a baby when he wrote this book. He says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I understood as a child. I reasoned like a child. But what? But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Like some of you need to put the Nintendo away. And I don't mean in the natural realm. I mean you got 
20 years of being a Christian with one year of experience. Like, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. So Paul says this. He gives us some indications of what, a, what, what this looks like. What's it look like to be a baby? So if we know what a baby looks like and we're no longer supposed to be that, we can know what not to be. Okay, so if, if you feel a certain way when you hear one of these today, don't let it make you feel that way. Just say, okay, I've got somewhere to grow to. Right? Because as the Holy Spirit begins to reveal areas in your life you need to grow in, Remember, when the Holy Spirit convicts, condemnation pushes you down and away. He doesn't do that. Conviction picks you up and pulls you in. So anytime he begins to convict you of an error in your life you need to change, he's actually drawing you closer to himself so he can change you. And so let him do that. So next slide. We should no longer be children. So here's a couple things that were listed. First thing, tossed. To and fro. I think this is the New American Standard. It says, tossed here and there by the waves. Tossed to and fro is actually a word. Uh, it comes from the word uh, clydon or cludon, which means wave. It's actually like this super agitating wave. So imagine like this. It's, it's kind of like just like, like floating on a wave, right? You, you, got, you, you got no stability. You're, you're, you're over here one day and you're over here the next. You ever met a believer? Like, let's just talk about believers because, you know, I'm not going to expect the world to be mature. You ever met a believer who was emotionally down one day and emotionally high the next? Oh, man, you see it. Oh, man, praise God. Oh, God's the best. Amen. Highly blessed, blessed and highly favored. And then you run into them the next day. Oh, man, life sucks. Oh, I don't know. Sign immaturity. Because you've allowed your emotions to run to and fro. You've gone from one extreme to the other. Like you're hot and you're cold. You're up and you're down. You're in, you're out. Like next week, man, they're here. They're serving in church. They're, they're involved. And then you don't see them for three months. Immaturity. So he said there shouldn't be this variableness to your walk with the Lord. There should be a consistency. See, as we look later about speaking the truth, truth is received from somebody who has a consistency in their life. Like, I don't want somebody speaking into my life that can't manage their own. Like, when you're up and down and high and low, and in, like, like, get some consistency in your own life first. And then I'll probably be more attentive to what you're going to say. See, Jesus was consistent. Would you agree? Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't change. James 1.17 says this, says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, or shadow of turning. God doesn't shift. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that's your measuring stick. Like your measuring stick's not me, it's not Kristen, it's not Royce, it's, it's nobody but Jesus. And He doesn't change. 
And he said, so I don't want you to act like a baby and be crying one day and then moaning the other. And it just like, yeah, we all got emotions. But I want you to experience emotions, but you don't allow emotions to control and drive you. Like you let God's word drive you. Impressionable. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. Boy, you ever, you ever talk to somebody and, and, and they're like latched on to this subject this week and then next week they're on something else and the next week it's something else. And Variable. Impressionable. I hear one thing. So I, I'll see people, they'll watch one TikTok. I could have preached the same thing ten times in a row and they watch one TikTok video and they fall off the cliff. Had somebody who used to be associated with, got delivered of drugs, got healed in their body, got restored in relationships, and then had one thing go wrong in their life and decided they didn't believe any of it anymore. Because they had the experience without the grounding in the Word. See, I want you to have the experience, but I want the experience to corroborate what God's Word says. And when you have the two together, you're not going to be shaken from what you believe. See, I had that same person come up to me and be like, hey, you know what? I just want you to read a book on why miracles don't happen anymore. Like, I'm not wasting my freaking time. Like, I'm not reading that because I know that I know that I know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know it because His Word says it, and I know it because I've experienced it in my life, and you're not going to talk me out of it. So why would I waste my time reading a dumb book about why that doesn't exist anymore? See, if you're trained by the U.S. government to, to identify fake dollar bills or fake $100 bills, they don't train you on the fakes. They train you on the genuine, authentic one. And the more you identify and understand what the genuine hundred looks like, you'll be able to pick up on all the fakes. See, you're not going to talk me out of what I believe because it's part of me. And Paul says, I don't want you to be wishy-washy on what you believe. I want you to be grounded on a firm foundation. Not going back and forth. Not being in, in, impressionable. Gullible. That's another immature thing. A bunch of Charlie Browns trying to kick field goals. You remember that? Peanuts. Lucy's like, come on, Charlie. Now, you know what she does. She pulls the ball every time. It's like, oh, I've got it written right here. I will not pull that up. But you always do. Oh, okay. And after she pulls the ball away, he said, she did it again. I fell for that trick again. Like some of you keep falling for the same dumb tricks. 
This word trickery actually is the Greek word kubos, which means where we get the word cube, it actually means loaded dice. You're actually trying to win a game where you're playing against somebody throwing loaded dice. Like, you're going to lose. You're going to pull a Charlie Brown. Wise up. If they did it to you three times, they're probably going to do it to you four. Don't fall for those tricks. He says scheming and craftiness. Those are two words actually to describe what the enemy does. Craftiness, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I fear but by some way that the, the, as the same way the serpent beguiled Eve with his craftiness. He's sneaky. The word scheming is the same word in Ephesians 6.11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the King James wiles, schemes of the devil. Right? I think it's interesting. The first one of these talks about waves. The second one talks about wind. The next one talks about demonic influence. When Jesus was in the boat asleep, you remember this? The boat's sinking. Oh, save us. And he stands up and says, peace be still. He says, why do you have no faith? And it says in Mark 4.41, they said, man, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? When Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke 10, they come back, they said, even the demons were subject to your name. So some of this is about knowing your authority in Jesus. That you don't have to stand for some of this stuff. Some of it just being a moron. Like you're spiritually, you become spiritually stupid. Like I've been there. I'm there sometimes. So I'm going to pray God quickens your spiritual intelligence. You become wise as serpents. Gentle as doves. You don't fall prey to these stupid things people do to you. Because those are all signs of immaturity that we need to grow out of. We're going to grow up into Christ. I mean, do you think Jesus fell for that stuff? No. Did anybody ever pull the wool over Jesus' eyes? Never. When When the devil tried to do it, what did he say? As it is written, you got to be grounded in the Word. If you don't want to go back and forth, if you don't want to be carried away by every wind of the doctrine, if you don't want to be tricked out of stuff by people trying to scheme against you, if you don't want the enemy, you know, eating your lunch, you got to be grounded in the Word. Next, growth focused. Here's where we talk about intentionality. Let's read the next verse. So verses uh, 14 or 15 and 16. Now I want you to notice here that two times this word growth is used. It says, speaking the truth in love, you may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body. See that? 
when you do your share, when you do your part, what does it cause? Growth where? In the body. So, like, the body does not grow to the degree that God wants it to if you don't do your share. Like, I can't do your part. You can't do my part. I mean, I might be able to do it a little bit. You may be able to mind a little bit. We were never effective unless we all do the part that God's given us to do. Remember, he's graced you with a gift. See that part where it says joined and knit together? I think it's a great word. Uh, it's two words, but it, it means compacted. And, and, and it's kind of like, you ever seen particle board? Or do you know what particle board is? There's like actual pieces of wood scraps that are put together, like press board, something it's called press board. We used to call it aspenite when I was a kid. I don't even know that's a thing anymore. But, but in my house, if you've ever been to my house, you won't see this, but the beams that hold my house up are made out of scrap wood. It's actually pieces of wood that get compressed together and actually become stronger together than they would individually and can actually hold the entire weight of a house. And that's the picture here is that we're actually compacted together that we can do something as a group that we could never do individually. See, there's, there, that chip of wood would never hold my house up. But if you put enough chips of wood together and compact them tight enough, the strength collectively actually increases to where, in a lot of cases, it's stronger than just a solid piece of wood. It's amazing. See, what happens a lot of times is we, we, we just think, well, you know, I'm going to just haphazardly grow. There's got to be an intentionality. There's got to be, you know, you're actually making a focused effort to growth. And it's not you just focusing on your growth. Right? Like, well, I just want to worry about my, well, my growth is important. I need to grow. I need to get in the Word every day. But there's also, I also need to recognize that i got to contribute to you. You need to grow on your own. And you need to contribute to me. Like, I need what you have. You need what I have. And together, when everybody does its part, it says the body increases. Next slide, please. Later in the chapter, he says, Put away lying. Let each of one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Could you imagine if I went, when I was a kid, I was about probably four years old. We had that old, the, the like electric stove where it gets like glowing red. It's like a coil. Remember those? And I put my hand on it because it was red. And my dad will say, it didn't take you long to look at that, did it? And yeah. It doesn't take you long to look at something when it's hot. But why did I know to pull my hand off? Because within a millisecond, my brain sends a signal to my hand and says, hey, you idiot, pull your hand off there. Literally, it happens so fast. But what if my brain said, oh, doesn't that feel good? Wow, that feels great. I wouldn't have a hand. See, when you lie to your, when you lie to your neighbor, you're lying to yourself. Because we're all 
part of the same body. And I have to be confident that when the brain sends a signal to the hand or the toe or the le- wherever it is, that I can rely that it's the truth. And so that's why he says, lay aside lying and speak truth to one another because you're all members. And if I'm lying to you, I'm lying to me. And if I'm hurting you with the lie, who's it also hurting? It's hurting me because we're part of the same body. He says, I want you to speak the truth. So a couple things on truth, and we're just going to have to hurry up. Let's go to the next slide. It says in Psalm chapter 119, verse 160, David says this. He says, the entirety, the entirety of your word is what? I believe this book. Like, I believe everything in it. I don't care, oh, somebody missed, you know, a thousand years ago, they translated something wrong. I believe that God said it. I believe in the inerrancy of God's Word. David said the entirety of it is truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, He says, sanctify them by your Word. Your Word is truth. So here's the thing. All truth, this might, I don't know if i said this before, the Bible is 100% true. But all truth is not contained in the Bible. The only one time does the phrase all truth ever show up. Jesus says this. He says, I have so many things to tell you, but you can't bear them yet. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will lead you or guide you into all truth. See, this is a record that's 100% truth, but I propose to you that all this is 100% truth, but all truth is not in this. All truth is in God. All truth is in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So all truth exists in Jesus. Even John said this, he said, All the things that Jesus did never could be recorded because had they been recorded, the books of the world couldn't even contain all the things that would be written. So there's truth. This is 100% true. But there's also things in your life that aren't written in here. Like, does God care about who you marry? Yeah, I think He does. I mean, if He cares that the sparrow falls to the ground, it says not a sparrow falls, that He doesn't know about it. You think you might care where you work, who you marry, where you, yeah. But it's not in here, but it's in there. It's in Him. And the Holy Spirit takes from in Him and declares it to you. And so, what happens a lot of times when people say, well, if you can't show it to me in the Bible, I'm not going to believe it. I get it. But when you go by that theology, you limit to yourself to what's written here, and you actually don't ever tap into all truth that's contained in Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit will never lead you apart from what's written here. But He's going to add some clarity to the general truth that's here. He'll give you specifics. See, think about this. Is it God's will that we preach the Gospel in all the world? Yeah, but there was twice that Paul tried to go to what he thought was all the world, and it said the Holy Spirit stopped him and sent him somewhere else. Like, you need the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. 
like the Bible says this, it says the kingdom of God uh, is, uh, the kingdom of God is, uh, uh, you receive it like a little child, right? It also says that the kingdom suffers violence and those that it, it, violent take it by force. Well, do I take it by force or do I receive it like a little child? I don't know. I got to ask the Holy Spirit because it depends on the situation. So, the, the Word is truth. Next slide. The Holy Spirit leads you into all truth. All right, we'll cover that. Next slide. What about love? Because it says, see, a lot of people want to do a lot of speaking, but what's it tell us to do? Speak the truth in love. Do you remember that word it meant for infant called nepios? You remember that? That comes from an uh, um, obsolete particle. N-A, N-E is nay, and epos means word. It actually means without the power to speak. What's a baby have? No power to speak. See, God wants you to grow up to a point where you have power to speak into somebody's life. See, you can't speak into a life that you're not connected to. What did it say? It says we're all one body. See, I run into people all the time, like they want to go thumping a Bible over somebody's head that they have no relationship with. Like, I want to thump you and make you learn God's Word. Well, how about developing a relationship first so in the context of family and unity that you actually trust me that what I'm saying is not just the truth, but that I have your best interest at heart. See, it says this, that I, it's not just the truth, but it's the truth in love. See, truth is the message, but love is the approach. It says this, love is patient. I'm going to speak the truth in patience. I'm going to speak the truth in kindness. I'm going to speak the truth without envying or boasting. I'm going to speak the truth without arrogance or being rude. I'm going to speak the truth without insisting my own way. I'm going to speak the truth without being irritable or resentful. I'm going to speak the truth without laughing at you in your mess. I'm going to speak the truth, uh, and I'm going to love you through everything. I'm going to speak the truth and believe that God's actually going to do it. I'm going to speak the truth and hope for the best, and I'm going to speak the truth and endure till the end. Now, that, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. But the measuring stick is who? Jesus. And guess what? That's what he does. Is that grid the next slide? There's the question. So what's the opposite of truth? Don't look at that yet. What's the opposite of the truth? A lie, right? Simple. So the opposite of love is what? A lot of people say hate, but I actually think that my opinion, the opposite of love, is selfishness. Because love, agape love, is self-sacrificing giving. And so that the opposite of actually agape love is me. It's self-centered. It's about self. So as I was preparing for this, God really said, be careful of mixture of these four components. And so I want to just touch on a couple, because here's what happens. Let's start in the red, right? Because nobody's there. I, I know nobody's there. 
See, instead of telling the truth in love, sometimes we tell lives rooted in selfishness. What's the purpose of that? Manipulation. It's that I'm telling you a lie rooted in selfishness so I can control you or the situation you're in. You never see anybody do that? This morning, this morning, you're talking about yourself or your husband, told a lie rooted in selfishness, I cast that demon out in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right, but here, I, I, I want to tell you, I think most Christians operate in the yellow. I, like I, And there were even some things I told Seth today, there were some, even some things I wanted to preach today that when I evaluated my motive, my motive was not love, and I had to cut him out of my message. Like, I've been challenged by, by this own word. Because there's so many times that I want to speak something, but if I'm speaking it with my own agenda in mind or, or like, selfish reasons, you know, what did I tell you this week? I, I think instead of practicing the truth in love, I need to practice the truth in biting my tongue. I think that's probably more what I need to do. But you too. So true. Look at this. Well, I'm not going to tell a lie in selfishness. I'm going to tell a lie in love. What do we call that? Coddling somebody. Enabling somebody. I don't care about your growth. I just want to tell. I, I love you, but I'm, I'm scared to tell you the truth even though I love you. So I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear because I don't really care if you get out of the mess you're in and thereby I'm going to enable you to stay where you're at. Telling a lie rooted in love. Sounds odd, but that's what a lot of people do. Well, I'm not going to tell a lie rooted in love, but I'm going to tell the truth rooted in selfishness. The bottom right. When people tell the truth, but it's rooted in self, it's because they're on a mission because they have their own personal agenda. Like, I'm going to tell you the truth, but the reason I'm telling you the truth is because I've got an agenda. I'm trying to push my own agenda. See, none of those are what God wants. The environment in which God grows us is the environment of truth spoken in love, which says this, I am interested in your growth 100%. And I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, and I'm going to do it in such a way that you realize I have your best interest at heart. See, love always seeks the best. Love always seeks the best. When God loved you, what did he do? He gave his best. He gave his best. And if I'm going to give you the truth, it needs to be wrapped in my 100% desire that what I'm giving you is for your best. It might hurt. It might hurt. But truth and love. All right, last one. Next. Love always seeks what's best. When you're speaking the truth, it should be done in such a manner that hearers realize that you have their best interest at heart. All right, let's wrap it up. Last one. Marks of maturity, grounded. We need to be grounded in God's Word. We're not going to go back and forth. We're not going to go up and down. We're not going to be like a wave, you know, tossed on a sea. It says, uh, it says in, in James, it talks about the double-minded man. He's like a wave of the sea and tossed. Same thing. You know, you're here, then you're there. You're, you're multi-focused. 
But he says, I want you to be grounded. I don't want you to be influenced by every wind of doctrine. I don't want you to fall prey to the trickery of people and the schemes and, and the craftiness of the enemy. I want you to be grounded in God's word. And he says, I want you to be growth focused. I actually want you to do your part so that the body grows, that you actually are intentional about it, that when you see something in somebody's life that needs addressed, that you speak the truth from God's word, from the Holy Spirit, wrapped in God's love, and in that environment, God will actually bring change and growth to that situation. And then finally, grace-oriented. Well, couldn't we all use a little more grace-oriented speech? Later in this chapter, and there's other things in this chapter, but I just wanted to pull these. Verse 29 says this. It says, let no corrupt. Now, corrupt word is not a bunch of cuss words. It could be. But it really means unwholesome talk. Uh, it, it, it means <clears throat> the, the Greek intention is, is something that's become putrefied because of its age. So I'm one of these guys that and if, if I have some jelly in the refrigerator and it grows mold, just scrape it off like it's like below the mold it's okay right like no yeah so I, I tried that I, I yeah I somebody lied to me somebody told me a lie rooted in selfishness so a couple months ago we had some some sour cream in the refrigerator and it had a layer of purple and green on top what I do I you videoed it I, I scraped it off. But you know, isn't sour cream bacteria anyway? Like, No, what is it? it oh, it was bad. bad. Well, it actually was because I got sick. But, it, yeah. So that, that was where I didn't receive the truth my wife was giving me, but experience was a good teacher on that one. But he says, let no putrefied or unwholesome word come out of your mouth but what is good and necessary, edification. So, like, there's, it's needed, like, you need to grow. It's, it's needed, like, wholesome talk is actually needed for you to grow. And he says that it may impart, what? Grace. Undeserved favor. See, when you think about what you're saying or, or the things you're speaking over people, remember this. God graced you equivalent to the gift He's giving you, but are you releasing the grace to them equivalent to the grace He gave you? See, a lot of times we only want to speak things to people that they deserve. Well, he doesn't, she doesn't deserve to hear that. That's not what it's saying. Grace is undeserved favor. Like, you need to release things over people's life that they don't deserve if you expect them to grow. See, when you release what they deserve, you're probably going to keep them at a certain height. But when you release grace of undeserved favor, you actually release unlimited growth. And, he's, and, and grace is what? Empowerment. Grace is not only undeserved favor, it's empowerment. When I release grace-filled words over your life, it should actually empower you, bless you, it should actually empower you to do what God's gifted you to do. Like, if think about this. We're all a body, right? If I lie to you, I'm lying to me. If I limit you, I'm limiting me. See, when I try to release words that keep people down instead of empowering them to move up, 
actually limit me and I limit you. I limit everybody. And so God wants you to release grace, undeserved favor into somebody's life, words that actually they don't deserve, but actually release power in their life that God can grow them into all that He intended for them to be. Let's go back a slide. A lot of times we pull these two verses apart. <clears throat> it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. What does the next verse start with? And. What does and do? It connects two sentences, two phrases, two thoughts. And, so impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. So a lot of people talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, and I get there's a lot of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. But Hebrews chapter 10 calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of grace. And I really believe when you release words that are not grace-filled words, you actually grieve the Holy Spirit because His intention is to release grace and not condemnation. And when you release condemnation, you're actually inhibiting what he wants to do in that person's life. And so, many times we don't think about the things we speak. It's not even just speaking something okay. It's that if I'm not adding grace to it, Colossians actually says grace is the seasoning salt to your words. I'm actually giving flavor. I'm, giving, I'm enhancing their life by what I'm speaking over. That's the environment that God begins to grow us together. So, I want you to be grounded. Like, you're not going to get grounded on Sunday morning. I want you to be here Sunday morning. Because we grow as a church. But you have a responsibility. You've got to grow yourself during the week. You've got to get in the Word during the week. You've got to spend time with the Holy Spirit during the week. You've got to let Him to, to begin to challenge you and shape you and to, to mold you. And then we come together and, and we get some more on Sunday. But this won't do it. You're not going to build a firm foundation just only here. You need to be here. You need to be part of the body. But you need to put in your own, your own time, your own labor in the Word. You need to be grounded. I want you to be growth-focused. I really want you to be intentional about it. Say this, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about us. It's about us. See, if I lie to you, I'm lying to me. If I limit you, I'm limiting me. If I release grace over you, I've released grace over me. Like, God wants us to be able to live in this environment of unconditional love for one another that we can actually speak truth and know that you have my best interest at heart and I have your best interest at heart. And then wrap all that up and make sure that it's flavored and seasoned with unconditional favor. I'm going to give it to you even though you don't deserve it because I want what's best for you. I'm not trying to withhold. See, like, if, if the standard is Jesus, didn't he give us more than we deserve? Yeah. Yeah. So why wouldn't we do the same? Let's pray.